everybody, and welcome to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's show, M4 Writer was recommended to me by Jace Britton. If you like this episode, you'll like that one. M4 Writer is the author of Interrogating the Eye from Schism Neurotics from 2022, a poetry essay on the poetics of looking and the gaze and the ecstasy of art making. She is the editor of Tarpaulin Sky Press and Magazine. Her poetry has been published in several magazines, including the journal Petra, the Action Blog, Impossible Task, Deluge, and Witchcraft Magazine. She really likes Nirvana, werewolves, and medieval art. I'll also note that, and we talk about it more in the episode proper, we were both in my studio sitting on the ground each with our own microphone and uh the xlr cable that i had for her was was not great and so there's some buzzing that uh couldn't get taken out for one reason or another and hopefully that's not too bad because i think the discussion is worth it if you would like to help out the show financially you can do so in a couple of different ways patreon.com slash noisemaker joe for just two bucks a month you can get these episodes a couple days before everybody else you could toss me some money at paypal.me slash noisemaker joe or you can buy my book it's called tired it's on amazon i think it's pretty good maybe you will too beyond that if you just want to post about the show rate the show wherever you listen to the show and so on and so forth as always i really appreciate you listening to the show and without further ado let's get into my conversation with meg Because for for two reasons. One, you're like six feet from me. We put a safe COVID distance between us. We we are in the same room. You have come all the way from Chicago to yeah. Grand Rapids yeah. to hang out um, with, with me and my wife and my daughter and your husband is here. Because we were going to go to the West Michigan Halloween Expo. We- we sure were. How did that go? <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> we rocked up to an empty parking lot. It was glorious. We sure did. <laughs> and I'm I'm still waiting for an email back from the ticket place to let me know about a refund. Yeah, we got a hardcore grifted. It was actually really funny. I'm glad that you had a sense of humor about oh, it, it because was I was I was like I was teetering on the edge of really? being being very embarrassed and, and quite angry. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. I and then uh, I had to blast Monster Mash for us. You did, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was. We had a good time. Um, and we were all full of waffles, so we were pretty happy. Uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to Social Misfits. Yeah. So the other thing too, the other like weird reason why this podcast is going to feel weird is because we know each other, and I would say our friends, mm-hmm. um, normally this this podcast is like the first time i'm talking to somebody right like aside from some emails some people i have on because they interact with me on twitter Mm -hmm. um or not because but you know feel feel more comfortable asking them to come on the show because they like like a lot of my tweets or whatever (laughs) um and that's going away yep (laughs) I'm, i'm barely on twitter anymore follow me on blue sky i tweet or a post skeet i oh, skeet about so gross. i think we need this we need to not call it skeeting Ugh. we i think if we stick to calling it posting we're gonna not be so attached to the platform so if it starts getting weird it'll be easier to let it go it's like how you don't name the chicken that you're gonna have for dinner yeah 
Unless you name it after the dish you're having. Mm. Mm. Come here, curried yeah. you. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, that is all just to say that this episode might just be different. Yeah. But I, I still intend to talk to you about poetry. That's largely what we talk about. It is largely what po we talk about. Poetry and esotericism. Writing and art. and Yeah. That's, yeah, it's all the same. Yeah. Same thing. Um, so I think the first thing of yours I read was Interrogating the Eye, which I really enjoyed. It was a, it was a really fun moment reading it because I was reading it basically right before the reading, right before the Zoom reading. Oh, last July. Last July. Yeah. Yes. We had a big uh, launch Zoom. And that was really cool. It was really fun, wasn't it? It was really cool. Yeah. Kind of got... shaky start because we couldn't figure out the program we were using. Mm -hmm. But we had um, a bunch of very dear friends and amazing poets and artists read with me. Um, not as openers, but as I just wanted to party with my friends. Yeah. So, yeah it was really cool. Um, you can probably hold the microphone a little bit closer to your face. Better? That's better. Okay. Yeah um yeah that was really cool it was nice to hear olivia read again yeah um i think when i had her on she was just kind of starting to try out the like vocal affectation sort of thing um what that, do you mean that vocal she was doing affectation I, I listened to that episode i think she, she mentioned it i think i kept it in the recording that she was just trying to do a sort of of like a voice like a character oh yes yeah okay um and yeah, that was that was really cool. Um, it was a fun moment because we we had already been in in the the Discord in the group chat together, and mm -hmm. we had been talking about writing together. And I think this that was just like the first, you know, kind of substantial piece of writing of yours that I had read. And it was it was just very nice to be like, oh, I get to I get to be in community um, with somebody who's doing something that I really admire. Oh, thank you. And it, it was very exciting to read. Really? Um, in that way. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Um, there's a, a sort of, um, like a, not necessarily like a book object-ness to it, but there is an attention to like, you know, what words are on what page. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I'm going to keep this particular poem going, even though there's only a couple words on this page and a couple words on the next page. But like, you still have poem titles and stuff. Um, and at least that's what was in the in the chat book. Because you're giving me a weird look. Yeah, there's... um. There's no poem titles in Interrogating the Eye. Is there not? Okay, so I'm definitely thinking of of the chat book that will come out There's eventually. one title in the chat book. I uh, am not Is there known... only the one? Yeah, one or two. Okay. I am not known for my titles. Because, because there's After Summer and there's Surveillance. Yeah, that's the first one. So there's two titles at there's least. There's two titles, yeah. See, I'm not crazy. Well, generally, I write book-length work or like a project. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is a get-out-of-jail-free card for having to think of titles for poems. Um, because I don't know how people do it. I struggled in grad school. I struggled as a kid. I don't, I don't know how you're supposed to put a title on a thing that encapsulates it or whatever the fuck it's supposed to. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. We had talked about that before, how you do book length work. You, you yep. think about like the entirety of, of the project. Yes. Um, so that's, you know, that, that is similar to me as a, as a novelist, novelist, you're a novelist. Um, whereas, you know, the sort of way I tend to think about how poets work is they're just like writing poems and then they're like, well, I got like a hundred so I'll narrow it down to 80 or 75 and then I think that's how most of them, them do it. Yeah. And then they like print them out and like lay them out on the floor and figure out what order they're going in. Like Laura, mm -hmm. which is our other friend. Um, that, yeah, that's a very common practice. Um, but I never did that. Yeah. Poetry is in, is in such a fascinating place where we're like out of rules but there's still like a tradition of formalism like the shape of a poem yeah and like there's always stuff you can pull from right like i know you're very into dream songs mm -hmm. um but like the other manuscript you sent me where there's like the two by two boxes oh the conventional boxes yeah um I don't know. I'm I'm We've talked about this before a lot and I've talked about this on the podcast. This is like no secret that like poetry kind of stumps me. Yeah, I see you struggling. You, you feel <laughs> you see me squirming around. Um I like want to get my PowerPoint out for like intro to poetry class and be like, "Okay, Joe, let's go through slide by slide." Because I always feel like you have a very you have an image of what poetry is in your mind. That's not necessarily what poetry is at all. And I think you flounder a little bit when confronted with contemporary poetry because it doesn't exactly fit that shape, but you love it, right? Right. Um, and so like we've had discussions before about like, like following the rules of a sonnet or whatever. And I'm like, nobody does that. No, mm -hmm. that's not what you do. You don't practice writing sonnet as a baby poet. I mean, right. Um, unless you're Joelle McSweeney, but then there are toxic sonnets and they're amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of like want to pat you on the head like one of my old students and be like, no, sweetie, poetry's everything. <laughs> right. And we we we've talked about steve rogenbuck mm -hmm. and when i discovered his videos through i some of my high school friends were big into making youtube skits and so they kind yeah. of found one of his things like just kind of organically because making silly absurdist youtube skits was their thing right um and i got into his videos and i really loved his assertions that like if the person what makes it calls it a poem, then it's a poem. Mm -hmm. um, 
I like that. I like that freedom. I'm not super interested in um, the discussions, like the the pseudo philosophical, like is noise music music sort of discussions, or like um, no, and I don't think know, most arguments poets, over genre uh, stuff like that. Yeah, and I don't think most poets are interested in those discussions either. Um, I think more, especially with the crew that we hang out around with, experimental writers in mm-hmm. general. Um, I think it's more about what are you trying to evoke? Right. So I think of like the best definition that I can give myself and give former students was um, poetry is an experience. Mm. Right. Whereas a novel is a story. Mm-hmm. right poetry is an experience and that experience can be a moment of time it can be something standstill it can be a smell it can be a thought or a feeling whereas a story has to have time poem doesn't have to have time mm-hmm. but it has to be something that is by necessity um the opposite of anesthesia right and enlivens you in some way for and i don't mean all poetry is beautiful or awakens the spirit whatever Mm -hmm. some poems feel very bad right right but uh, the the idea of awakening yeah so emily dickinson said um it's a poem if she feels the top of her head being cut off right Mm -hmm. percy bishy shelley said that poetry is a sort of lightning Mm -hmm. those are kind of more the definitions i go with yeah yeah, you know, I like that definition. I think I would disagree with you that I have an image in my head of like what a poem is. I think that's where I flounder mm-hmm. because I don't have anything because I haven't ever studied poetry, right? Like I don't have a basis for like or at least when I did study poetry in college, like when it was just part of classes, it was never a poetry class, but it was just sort of like... You can ignore everything that they said. Well, you know, <laughs> I I enjoyed my professor. Okay. And he is a poet, and okay, I enjoy okay. his poetry. All right. All right. That's um, different. You know, Amora Kiwi, shout out to you. Um, I know you don't listen to the podcast, and that's okay. Um now it would be really embarrassing if you did listen to the podcast. Let's Don't listen. tell me. Don't tell me if you listen to it or or not. Don't be on my Patreon. Everybody else fill in that gap. But Don't spiral. Don't spiral. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's move forward. <laughs> um, you know, but it was like he was giving us lots of different examples, right? Because yeah. we first encountered it in just intro to creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I encountered it again in a sort of like can't remember what the class was called but we covered um we spent the semester looking at three writers in detail mm-hmm. so we read like neil gaiman we read Coraline and american gods and the first sort of pa- trade paperback of sandman and then we read a bunch of stuff from um sherman alexi and then a bunch of laura kaziski's stuff oh who's laura Lori Kaziski teaches at uh, the University of Michigan. She does lots of poetry. She wrote the novel. She wrote a lot of novels, too. She's very prolific. She um, wrote 
uh, White Bird in Blizzard, which turned into a movie. Uh, the one we read was Sankin Skin. I want to say Secret Skin, but that's not it. That's a, that's the movie with <laughs> that's the, that's the movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, where that's awful the entire time. Anyway, she's a local poet, and she's fantastic. I love her poetry. Okay. Uh, we read the the poetry collection Space in Chains, which was very good. She uses lots of sort of like listing of things. She has lots of poems about motherhood. Sherman Alexie's poems were different from hers, and the poems that we wrote and read and intro to creative writing were different. So I don't have this sort of like baseline platonic ideal in my head of like, this is a poem, and and with which I can contextualize other poems, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I have this problem with the very avant-garde inside the castle type stuff too, where I'm like, I can see what you're doing and I can feel that I like it. Um, I don't necessarily know if this is in reference to something. I don't know if you're being intentional about all of the graphics on the page and the way that the words are arranged. I don't know if you're... Uh, doing this flippantly um, and because I have no context for like any of that right I have no I haven't read a you know Dadaist poetry or um, concrete poetry or anything I very much jumped into a lot of art that isn't a novel um, into the contemporary sphere so I like I'm learning backward from now. Mm-hmm. A book that came out last year is informed by all this stuff. Right. Um, I We've talked about this before, but I always think that you're so hung up on the context. When like you think, like Inside the Castle, I think is a great example of poetry, everything, mm-hmm. everything they write. The novels, the everything. Yeah. Right. And I and I say that because I can I feel it as poetry, mm-hmm. right? Um warped sense of time, um, characters who are not necessarily characters in the traditional sense, plots that maybe hit walls, imagery, use of sound, like Poetry, I think, is like taking all that language can do, mm-hmm. everything. And that means that means image, that means sound, that means line, that means where things are positioned on the page, that means the reader experience, that means like everything you can do with language, I think that's poetry. So if you're playing with language in any way, I say that's a poem. Sure. Right. And so some of the, the, the writers in Inside the Cast will be like, well, no, I'm an experimental novelist. And like, yes, I understand that. And I feel that. And I see that. But to me, it feeds all into the same impetus of you're playing mm-hmm. with language, which is fucking magic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been really interesting talking this weekend um, because you and I are so different in the way that we look at the world and art in particular and it's really cool because we have very similar values or the same yes same values one of the the biggest lies of our generation is that people with differing ideas like can't have conversations or whatever Mm -hmm. and obviously that's just 
that's a talking point from right wingers and reactionaries that I think some left wing people have started to echo, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is 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 the tone of social media makes it hard to tell. Like it used to be like it's hard to tell if someone's being sarcastic because you can't hear them, but now it's like people write things such that it could be read both ways on purpose. Um, and I guess that's, you know, you could, you could say, let's look at Twitter as an interesting poetic experiment, but no one's going to do that. Anyway, my point is that um, it's, it's really fun to, um, to have more than an hour to talk about writing. Right. Um, because I, and we were, I said this last night in a different context, but like, it's fascinating to me to realize just how mechanical my brain is. Mm-hmm. I used to think I was very artsy and fluid and, and goopy in my brain. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. Um, I'm very structured. You are, you're very creative, but you are very structured. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, we talked about this in the Discord, too. I, I used to have this image of myself as kind of like the nerd. Yeah. Right. Uh, until I realized that, like, I only kind of like playing video games. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually kind of like uh, superficially into science. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, you know, your self-image is is an interesting thing. I should write poetry. I think a lot of poets kind of talk about that whole thing. The eye in poetry is an interesting... The eye in poetry is the never-ending question. Yeah. Which is a lot about what my book is about, too. Yeah. The slipperiness of eye. Mm-hmm. I think all my writing, I really appreciate the slipperiness between... I as self, I as speaker, uh, you as speaker, you as self. I love all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talk about that more. Oh. Um, oh. I think that when, especially working out of like, the confessional tradition, which I th- I think I do. Watch um, your water bottle; it's gonna tip. Oops. Um, we're working out of the confessional tradition, which I think I do, which is almost unavoidable as a contemporary poet in mm-hmm. America at this point in time. Um, but also having a great love and affinity for um, not only John Berryman, who is my first poetry love, but but Plath and Sexton. Um that you're always wrestling with the self in some way. But reading those poets, it's also necessary to understand from the beginning that the self is a construct, especially the self on the page. Yeah. Right? It's not you. And so when poets talk about the speaker, that's what they mean. It's not, we use I all the time. And I think that's why we get a lot of the um, mainstream contemporary ideas of like, oh, poetry is just for sad emos or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's because we use that I to investigate 
emotions or experiences, but it doesn't necessarily mean the I is you. But the I is also you because it's I. Mm-hmm. Right. But I also like playing with the idea of second person, which you have a whole book written in the second person as well called Maze, mm-hmm. um, which I think we're playing with similar things. I think so. The slippage between separate bodies mm-hmm. and how they come together, but also the mechanics of grammar. Right. So you as the self, you move through the room, you pick up your socks um, as a way to garner almost like a professional distance mm-hmm. on the self and the self's actions, the self's emotions um, that sometimes feel, at least for me, too unwieldy and messy for the eye. Maybe it's coping mechanism. Maybe that's better. <laughs> better word for it. Maybe it's. Maybe I need to go talk to my doctor a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think there's something to that too, because I'll slip into third person if I start getting too personal in a poem. Right, right, yeah. Whereas my eyes are a lot more dealing, I think, with like universals. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Like the two the two poems like that, Walt Whitman that I've recently shared. Maybe I'm I'm I don't think I've ever read Walt Whitman. I think um, you would enjoy Song of Myself. Probably. It has really long lines. You would like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the two poems that I've most recently shared with you, the one about like the trucker and the ghost, mm-hmm. and then the other one that's in third person, right? The one that's in third person is very, um, I don't know, internal, very like specific to feelings about myself, whereas the other one is, it's a story poem, and it's just kind of it's dealing with America a little bit and a narrative poem. solitude and yeah uh, mythologizing of of the personal experience. I think also that sort of coding, right? And maybe that you're using the third person as a type of coding is really common in like baby poets, right? So mm. when we're first learning and our American conception is po- of poetry is the confessional mm-hmm. and you have all these goopy teenage feelings mm-hmm. and you code them with symbolism and, and you know different tenses or whatever and so they become almost impenetrable mm. right and I think there is something wonderful about that mm-hmm. the obscure and the personal dictionary the personal vocabulary and the per- personal symbology um Laura says she doesn't like poems to be purposefully obscure, but I think I might. Mm. <laughs> I think I might like it. <laughs> um, and so I think that's kind of like what we're talking too about, like switching tense, tenses, mm-hmm. switching point of views is, is that kind of, kind of hiding. And I think the best work that I, the best work I've ever done is when <sighs> you very radically very purposefully don't do those things Mm. when you very purposefully don't hide and it's fucking painful Mm. yeah it seems like perhaps with poetry at least contemporary poetry there's a 
like it works it works best when at, at least initially it's like only the subconscious coming through wait wait say, say it again oh can i <laughs> poetry only works best when the subconscious is coming through yeah when it's like only the subconscious and then like the consciousness edits it no no you don't think so well i mean i think it's like i think it's a great tool but i think some people would say they write very methodically mm. right I mean, I'm a mess. This doesn't mean they are. <laughs> <laughs> I very much write from muscle memory, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I write prose and when I write poetry, it feels similar. Like, it's obviously I'm tapping into a different part of my brain, mm -hmm. but like, there is a. I have to remove myself. A little bit if mm -hmm. i'm if i'm like if i'm doing automatic writing i'm too far gone but if i'm like actively choosing words i'm too far forward so i need okay. to be like just a little bit back because if i'm if i'm if i'm really paying attention to what i'm doing i'm overthinking it a lot of my best stuff is the sort of like quiet voice yes. in the back of my head yes. that's just like here's a good word here's a good phrase and then, like, the more active part of my brain figures out how to attach that phrase into what's going on. Mm. Um, That's, yeah, that is more mechanical than, yeah. than I do, yeah. Mine is very much, like, it feels like it stems from an automatic pra practice. Mm -hmm. And things come out, just come out, right? And the less I have to do with it, it the better... Well, that's not true either because you have to make that active choice to be, to not censor yourself, to not code. As, uh, yeah, it's it's such a mysterious process. And I have zero discipline to speak of, so. Mm. Right. Because I still, I still remember a poet that was brought in to speak. I can't remember his name. Um, I'm talking into the wrong part of the microphone. Um, I still remember this poet that, that came in who was talking about, and I've mentioned this guy a million times on the podcast with poets, but he talks about how his dad was like a woodworker mm -hmm. and he approaches writing poems the same way where he's like, I'm crafting a thing. And so I'm going to craft a thing with skill and, and, uh, you know, as opposed to like, you know what it is? Maybe poetry is like a both and thing. Oh, it usually is. <laughs> it usually is. So there, there's, there's maybe one of my blocks is that it's mm -hmm. like, is it just dreaming on a page? No. No, it's not. But it's not, you know, a lot of the people I've, I've talked about that guy to have bristled. Um, I mean, there, there is craft, of course. Right. But it's how you approach craft. Right. So some of some of the craft stuff, if you're, you know, if you're if you're an old poet <laughs> yeah. and have been writing for a long time, some of that craft is, like I said, muscle memory. Like you you know almost instinctually what you're trying to do, like what this line break is going to do for the tone, for the feel, for the image, right? Mm -hmm. Um and 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 maybe I'm working more 
instinctually and automatically mm -hmm. in that way because of so long of practice, right? Because there is craft. And and I do edit. And um, so to say it's just daydream on the page is I hate it. Mm. Don't say that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. But I, I do know what you mean about like switching over in your brain from from your normal fiction to poetry, right? Because I feel the same switch when I do painting. Like mm. when I move to the visual, when I move to the visual arts, um, I feel like like an engine turning over my brain. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because you know, painting too is is not only intentional. No. Um, but it is very different. You you have to sit with it for a lot longer. Mm hmm. Hmm. But but like so in interrogating the eye, it is an image text, mm -hmm. right? So it is kind of bridging those two halves of my brain together, right? In a way. Where I'm working with images and text together, and what they can both do together, with what they can't do separately. Yeah. Hmm. It's so. Like it's. I don't think it'll ever become easier. Um, and I think that's that's part of why it's so exciting, to me to read poems. Um. You know, on the desk there is that um, Inside Outer Space anthology that oh, yeah. came out in like the 70s yeah. of poems about space. And it's got a bunch of people I've never heard of. And it's like also got Anne Sexton and Allen Ginsberg in it. Really? It does. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so I started fairly soon just whenever I read a poem that I liked writing down the name of the poet. So like I will finally have a sort of intentional place to go next. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so different from other art where I can explain why I liked it, right? I can explain to you for days why I like horror punk. Mm -hmm. And part of it is there's a context. Part of it is the sound and the emotion. Part of it is the aesthetic. Um, Part of it has to do with like me as a person um, and, you know, I have a hard time kind of retaining the words in a poem after I read it. What like, do you mean retaining? Um, like if I were to read even a fairly short poem and someone were to say like, what was the poem about? Or what did you like about it? Or what was your favorite line? Well, those are shitty questions. Maybe. <laughs> you know, that's fair. Um, but just like, you know, it's it's hard to talk about the way in which, like, when I read a poem and I sit back and I go, wow. Why is the wow there? I don't know. I don't know either. That's what's amazing about it. And so I've roped myself into this weird position where how do I do an hour-long podcast about, hey, I read your book and I felt, wow. <laughs> fill, fill 59 minutes and 45 seconds with that, please. Um, so that's, I think, I think a large part of my problem with poetry and by problem with, I don't mean I don't like it. I mean, like, it's challenging to talk about for me is that I'm 
very much placing myself in this position where I'm talking to poets about poetry and I don't know very much about poetry. Um, you keep saying that, but you do know a lot about poetry. You do. You read poetry. You hang out with poets. We talk about that. You know poetry. So, like, as, as a former, like, poetry teacher, I would say, like, maybe better questions would be, um, like, super-duper kindergarten questions. What did that make you feel? What image pops into your head? What does it remind you of? Yeah. What sound is stuck in your head now? What did it feel like? Like, the sound, what did the sounds feel like? Yeah. What did you notice about the poem? Rather than, oh, guys... What does the poem mean for 200 points? Like, that's not, that's fucking stupid. Well, and I agree, right? So the other thing Huey told us was that poems are not riddles. No, they're not meant, no. And so, like, yeah. you know, that that was freeing for me because, yay, poems aren't riddles. Right. And, they're, they're not testing you. Right. And I was talking, I was talking to, to Mike Correo about this on the, on the podcast about Stealth Anxiety Megamix. Is this, like, um... I think especially within the context of this show, I feel the desire or maybe the need or pressure to like um, be more, do more than what I've been doing, retain more than, than what I've been doing. The thing about th this thing that we keep talking about, about how poems make you feel and I'm really sick of how much I've been thinking about gender politics and talking about gender politics lately. But there's this idea that I saw in a YouTube video that a therapist did about why talk therapy doesn't work for men as much. Mm. Um, and there's there's a whole, I guess there's a whole psychological word about like colorblindness for your feelings. Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think is the case for me. Like I have a rich emotional life. Mm -hmm. I'm not just angry and different or horny um but i do think there is um a a an emotional vernacular that other people have even if it's you know beyond language uh within themselves that maybe i don't have access to yet and poetry exposes those blind spots because what did the poem make you feel? Very often it's like, it made me feel like I just read a good poem or beyond that, like melancholy. I think maybe one of the reasons why I, I joke about how my favorite poems are old guys from the Midwest who write about living on a farm. Because that's you. Is it, <laughs> I don't live on a farm. I live in the city, kind of. <laughs> I live just north of the city It's in, and it's very nice. But like the you know the midwest melancholy and wistfulness is is there have you read midwestern infinity doctrine by no jess bear off mm -mm. of apocalypse party no not yet oh you gotta read that okay yeah it's not it's not poetry as you would see it it's an essay sort of mm, interesting yeah very yeah. very good and also a tarpaulin sky finalist mm. yes cool yes yeah um but i think it speaks to that kind of work that you're describing the the midwest melancholy yeah yeah 
We have we have Southern Gothic and we have Midwest emo. That's as far as the Midwestern emotions go. We don't. If it's as deep as a casserole dish, that's as far. Like, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking about that. I noticed this about myself when we were at the haunted house last night. People are like, "Get out of my house!" And I'm like, "You bet." I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm here. How rude of me. Guy hops out of a out of a refrigerator and starts screaming get out of here and i'm like you're the rational one here (laughs) why am i here i think that was the most upsetting part of the haunted house for you (laughs) yeah it was like yeah do you want to be the freak in my freak show i'm like you know maybe i should just say yes i I came in here he introduced me to all his friends i should just get in the cage right yep yeah that was yep I did. I did. When we got to that part of the haunted house, I did think one of us idiots is going to have to get in there because we're too polite. Yeah. I, <laughs> which one of us is it going to be? But it was not an extreme haunt because if it had been an extreme haunt, somebody would have ended up in the cage and, and you know appeared in the lobby. But later. I did. I did think about. I did do the calculations. I'm like, who's going to get in there? I'm like, it's going to be fucking me. God damn it. <laughs> well, and. I, we talked about this too on the way home that like I buy into the experience. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I'm also empathetic of people in the service industry. Yes. And and haunt actors are in the service industry. Yes. There's no difference between a haunt actor screaming at me and and the waitress taking my order. They're, yeah. They are the same person to me in my brain. And so I'm like, oh, so does he have lines prepared if someone says yes? Or is he going to have to do some sort of like quick improv that he's not ready for, which would be less rude. Um, so God, like, how, do, how do I make so... sure that the haunt actor has a nice time? God, it's <laughs> such a Midwest shame spiral. God, no one else thinks like this. <laughs> <laughs> right into the show. Send me an email. Noisemakerjoe at gmail.com. Tell, tell me about this because like, and so I was like listening to you guys like interact with the scare actors too. And I was like, part of me wanted to like scold you guys for really? like, yeah, for like not acting scared. And I'm like, you know, they're doing their thing. They're having fun. I'm sure the scare actors are having fun. It's so weird. I'm so strange. Okay. <laughs> I, I was having dialogues with the scare actors because I was out of my mind scared. And okay. And talking to them and like being like oh, I'm sorry, I'll leave, ha, 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 and talk to them, like, so I don't, like, pee my pants. Like, mm. that, that's what that was. That was pure defense mechanism. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, my God, I set off your, like, embarrassment alarms? <laughs> Dad Joe was like, this is not how you act. You need to, you need to act properly in this situation. <laughs> Dad, Dad is mad, and we don't know why. <laughs> Dad's mad because part of his inner child is not healed, and it's coming oh out. God. Now, I feel bad for making you uncomfortable. <laughs> and the spiral has begun. <laughs> no, we're, it's gonna, we're just going to be crying by the end of this. Oh, God. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Very poetic. <laughs> um, it was fun, though. Can we talk about eco-poetics? We sure can. <laughs> we talk about eco-poetics all the time. We do, because I insist on it. Yeah. Quite constantly. And you have you guys are all powerless to my whims, <laughs> uh, because I want to yell about the destruction of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. 
Are you, you just gonna let me talk? <laughs> yeah. Don't really talk about it. W- what about eco poetics? Would you oh, like to say? What if I just started screaming? Um. Because that's how I feel. I think we can just imagine that you're screaming. I I like go Google a video of Dick Higgins Danger Music from the sixties. Yeah. That's exactly. Fluxus, like I talked about last night. They were mm-hmm. they were in the middle of Fluxus. Mm. Yeah. His daughter was my art history professor. Mm. And she is also the chronicler, archivist, historian of the movement. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very, very smart lady. Wonderful. Yeah. That's a great connection to have. It is. That's so cool. It is really cool. It's it's it's, it's doing a slow burn in my stomach, but that's one, very exciting. One of her cool stories was um her both her folks were in the movement. They were friends with Andy Warhol, like early days. Mm-hmm. And Andy had given them some signed soup cans mm. as like a trade for something. But being like intense artists, they were also like not the best parents. So the kids were often left at home alone a lot and they would be hungry. <gasps> so one time Hannah climbed up on the cabinets, got down the cans of soup and made soup for her and her siblings. And her dad comes home and he, <laughs> he's like, you ate our family fortune. <laughs> <laughs> that better have been some good soup. Good. Soup. You just ate millions of dollars worth of soup. I know. I know. You know, I think that just adds a providence that increases the value of the soup can. I feel like it would, especially because he's famous too. Right. But like, did she throw the can away? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, my first instinct, if that were, were, you know, if I were coming home to find that, would be to recover the cans. Right. Um, I'll have to send her a follow-up email. Like, hi, yeah. I took your class 20 years ago. Okay. Oh, not 20. I'm not that old. 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting ideas. I need to write them down and we will discuss them later. Great. But okay. So yeah, eco-poetics. One of the things, so when I was hanging out with the, the peace team doing the, um, the, the, the filming for them, for my friend. Yes. Yes. Nonprofit sort of thing. A lot of, uh, so it, his fellows, their fellows, the fellows of the peace team are both journalists and artists. Mm-hmm. So you had people who are like program directors at like PBS in Wisconsin or whatever. And then also people who are just like visual artists and, and poets and stuff like that. Right. Um, and like I have their workbook. He gave me their swag bag. Nice. And I should read that and see if that would be useful to you. Because I did think about you a lot when I was listening to their talk mm. um, that I filmed because... It was a lot about like how do we build how do we do an inner pacifism you know not mm-hmm. just you know like what are, what is the violence we do inside of ourselves mm-hmm. that we perpetuate that way but also how do we use peace as the sort of cornerstone upon which we build our artistic or journalistic prax- practice mm-hmm. um that I thought from an eco-poetic standpoint could be interesting and useful because our meeting was, you know, predicated upon this series of readings that we did that was about yep. like, how do you make art right now? Right. Is it, is it useful? Is it even moral and ethical to, to 
waste your time writing poems in your room yeah and when we say right now we mean in this very moment at the end of late capitalism in the anthropocene you're right yes um and i think you and i had and maybe still have kind of very different ideas about answers to those questions i think you're an optimist you know I don't want you to think that. Why? Because <laughs> I don't feel like an optimist. Yeah, but you like love the world and shit. I I have I have so many yes because the weird mystical experience I had after we brought our kid home, where I was like, I need to be the all father. Like I need to be. God. I need to be this like this um, personification of certain parts of Odin. Uh, that you know. Odin is an interesting god because part of him is like, I need to make warriors who will die so that they can be in Valhalla for me for when Armageddon comes and I need to have good warriors. So there's this very sort of like selfish and and dangerous aspect of him. But he's also like, he brought the power of the runes to the people and poetry and he's the Allfather and stuff. And like that particular aspect of Odin um in that moment was like very clear and very important to me i am not a heathen i'm not a practicing pagan <laughs> i accused you of nothing except just being you... a, being an optimist and loving everybody yeah <laughs> i so i think what comes across to you as optimism is this mechanical problem solving part of my brain mm. um because i see a, i see problem and i i want to fix it right mm-hmm. and so that does become challenging when the problem is like billions of people are going to die soon Mm -hmm. um, more than likely how do i solve that problem um you know keeping in mind that i need to have a solution to that problem that is practical enough so that i can continue to keep take care of my wife and daughter Mm -hmm. right you know in minecraft there's only a few npcs you need to take out before you know certain aspects of the problem are solved but again you know, I have I have all my cows and sheep at home too. Right, much bigger scope. Um, so yeah, so what comes across I think is optimism is just like if there's a problem, there must be a solution to the problem, um, or at least one must continue to try to find a solution to the problem. Well, no, because you talk about being connected to the collective unconscious as well, and like right, feeling yeah. love of the universe and. My, yes, the unaffiliated mysticism that that is the closest thing I have to a religion has a sort of metaphysics that is there's no difference between you or me or this microphone or the squirrel running around outside. Which I think a lot of um, contemporary writers thinking about ecology right now would agree, right? That we have to view non-human people as beings yes mm-hmm. even if it's a rock right yes there's a sentience to all things that must be respected well not even a sentience you don't have to be sentience but you're fucking here yeah right just like we're here we're all here mm-hmm. like get over it yeah and one of the things in our in our many discussions about ecopoetics that I feel like maybe I tried to get at and still have a hard time articulating, I think a lot of um, the a lot of contemporary uh, talks about ecology, perhaps not ecopoetics, 
but ecology. Um, but because we we led with with the necro pastoral. We did. Uh, which which I think is kind of in line with what I wanted to to try to continue to get across where it's like I don't necessarily see like veganism as a ethical solution. Yeah. Um I think nature to exist involves destruction and we as humans will continue to partake in that uh i I do see that we're doing it too much right well it's just like you said about it's the system that's the problem right right You, you shouldn't be mass farming chickens right yeah no the we as americans eat too much meat you do not need meat for every meal um you don't even necessarily probably need meat even every day no um to maintain a healthy diet but i also don't think man can survive on bananas and chickpeas alone oh yeah i think we've proved that yes (laughs) if you eat 300 bananas in one sitting uh it will register your body as radioactive that's right i always forget (laughs) um but yeah so We've we've gotten onto my my eco poetics, but what about your eco poetics? My eco poetics. I don't even like to refer to it as eco poetics. My writing about ecology, about the Anthropocene, is very heavily influenced by the necro pastoral because it's the only tool I've found that is useful so mm-hmm. far to do anything. And I have been reading and writing and thinking about ecology, about climate change, about the Anthropocene, about late stage capitalism for almost five years now. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, sometimes as a writer, you find the obsession mm-hmm. and it fuels you mm-hmm. and you're like, yes, finally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can live in it. And, and be in it. This one is more so, it's not thrilling like obsessions can be. Right? No. Or, or, or feel like it's opening doors of perception or whatever. Yeah. It is constant pain. <laughs> it's constant pain. Because I did, I did write some really beautiful stuff, but the crux of the problem is, what's the fucking point? Right. Mm-hmm. So my views on ecology right now and ecopoetics and art making are 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 very grim, and because I am a pessimist, mm-hmm. because I'm a, cr- a contrarian, I can't help it. Please make me stop. <laughs> make me more tolerable to be around. Um, I still haven't watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> that's okay thank you (laughs) you know it ended so poorly and it's such a time investment to even get to the eighth season that if you haven't seen it by now it might not be worth it other people like it i just don't want to be involved i hate this about myself i hate it this is the worst part of myself i hate Mm -hmm. it um but so like all this reading i was doing about temperature increase and especially 
plastics and microplastics are what bugged me out more than anything. Yeah. And radioactivity. Those mm-hmm. are those are the two things that really got me. Um, I, I began to feel really hopeless and and just not scared, just, just profoundly sad. Yeah. It was grief. Yeah. And and it was the type of grief I think an animal must feel in a trap. Hmm. Right. Yeah. You're stuck. Mm-hmm. And not only are you stuck, you got yourself into this. Mm-hmm. Because we unwittingly, quote unquote unwittingly, helped. Yeah. And so how do you make art with that knowledge? How do you make art as the guilty party? How do you make art that isn't helping? And maybe that comes from, maybe I have a subconscious view that as art as being a luxury. When it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely not. Right. But I just don't see how writing poems is going to help. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe you have a definition of help that is big. Yes. I'm a big picture thinker. Right. Yeah. So there's this this thing that I have maybe this is related, maybe this isn't. Um where um jiggle that cord just a little bit. That's that's fine. That's a bad XLR cord. Hopefully I'll be able to fix it. And I keep wiggling around. I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah, every once in a while it's like, ah, perfect. It's gone. Um, Like right here. Never move again. Okay, try. Don't move. I'll try. Uh, It'll probably not come back. It's it's fine. I'm sure I'll be able to fix it. And if not, I've acknowledged it. And I think the discussion is good enough anyway um, to to account for a little bit of a hum. And we can always do it again because we have plenty of things to talk about. We sure do. Um... So this big picture, small picture thing, right? I think a lot of, um, so before I really got into this, the sort of Western esoteric slash pagan stuff, I was really into Zen Buddhism, Mm -hmm. which I view as a sort of cosmically focused, um, philosophy. Um, I don't like to, to do like the. Well, I, I always fear when I do like the, there's no difference between you and me and that chair and that squirrel outside because people are like, yeah, 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 we're all made of out of atoms. And I think that what I what I mean and what I feel goes deeper than that. It's reductive. Like, yeah, 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 we are all atoms. And you know what? Yeah, we're more empty space than atoms, too. There's no practicality to that. Um, but I've, I've been recently having this problem kind of reconciling this sort of like uh, Zen cosmology of like it's an empty hole w-h-o-l-e with the sort of more earthy pagan like the ground on which i stand is sacred and i'm like lighting a fire and digging a hole and and giving things and taking things and even even if like kind of metaphysically we're doing this because i'm connected to the earth and here's me you know stating my intention to be connected and stuff like that um but like there's a this like cosmic versus earthy. Mm -hmm. And I think that with regard to ecology, there's something like that too, where it's, you know, macro 
versus micro. Well, I think that's like kind of the human, the human trap of thinking that nature is outside of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Creating different spheres. So you don't think nature is outside yourself, but there is a separation of some kind, right? Right. And so anyway, I think even like your idea of help is kind of like you're thinking about it in, in the sort of like cosmic way. And maybe obviously not cosmically, but you're thinking about it on like a global scale. How, yeah. how can a poem cannot take a, a ring of, you know, a, a plastic beer can ring uh, uh, off of the neck of a turtle? Yeah. So why am I bothering? And yeah, right. And there's this. But also, if I did that, right, mm -hmm. alleviate one turtle suffering. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does that do? Right, you have one happier turtle, and you know the fabric of nature is so complex beyond what I'm sure even learned ecologists mean. Right. It's like the utilitarian point system of like. Well, was that turtle an invasive species? Was that turtle an egg-laying female, or was it a, yeah. a was it a male? Was yeah. does that turtle have a parasite that is now going to go on to be able to breed and I infect know. other things? I and blah, blah 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 blah. Right. The, and and we have also talked about the sort of utilitarian trap of like I can't leave my house because what if I step on a bug when I go outside? Right. Um. And so I think that writing poetry does help. I think that anything you do that is good does help. Um, How is poetry good? It makes me happy. <sighs> it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one with the MFA in poetry here. Yeah, well, we all make bad choices. <laughs> um, I... So because of like the eternal, infinite interconnectedness mm -hmm. uh, stuff that I feel, right? There's a joke tweet that maybe I've tweeted it, but I, I feel like I've always been too afraid to tweet it out. It's like, some of you don't understand how every action you do will ripple out across billions of people for the rest of time. And honestly, it shows, yeah. right? Yeah. And so like, yep. there is the sort of immediate practicality of planting a tree versus the ambient practicality of being kind to someone and also this is the stupid argument that anti-abortion people use right oh. like how did you the person you aborted could have cured cancer and it's like yeah we could have cured cancer 30 years ago if there wasn't a vested interest in people having cancer right um right so I don't I don't want to sound like I'm necessarily making that argument. Um, I think it is up and you know I, it is possible to know what the consequences of your actions are, but only up to a point, right? I know that if I were to launch myself across this room and punch you in the face, that there would it would play a a sequence of reactions that would lead to very predictable accounts. I would stuff. cry. Right, you would cry, we would stop being friends, Laura would want to stop being friends with me, um, I'd get kicked out of the Discord and I'd have no one to talk to during the day except my wife who would also be mad at me. Yeah, because you punched your friend. Right. Who she loves more than you. Um, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> um, so... Wait, are we talking about divorce now? Dude. <laughs> I don't know if it... Don't punch your friends. Right. 
But what I don't know is, 10 years down the road, does that experience cause you to write a very important work of poetry that wins you the Nobel Prize, that changes the lives of thousands of people oh, who so read it? Um, it uh, that, that becomes a classic that is read for hundreds of years and inspires a new you know a new fifth wave of feminism somehow i don't know that and that that does seem fairly improbable more than likely it would it would more than likely i just forget because my memory is really bad right and it, it would whatever right so the point i'm i'm making is that like with poetry it's a lot harder to know what the immediate consequence of writing a poem is going to be because it's it's not a super but we drastic don't action. have the time we don't have the time the temperature is increasing the weather and weather phenomenon are becoming exponentially wild right sure um we're full of fucking plastic mm -hmm. i oh and they're gonna like unleash yeast eating plastic and that's going to cause some ripple effect because it never works it never works oh let's bring cane toads into australia because it'll eat this other thing and now fuck we're invested with fucking cane toads oh and what kills cane toads nothing <laughs> nothing kills cane toads like it's it's just like it feels it feels like a cosmic joke and i don't find it funny <laughs> it's and i'm grieving right. and i'm grieving so hard and i feel useless and and small and like and i don't know part of it is too like living in america where the way our lives are structured i mean physically the way our lives are structured mm -hmm. with that main drag and then the strip malls and then it it's humans are bad <laughs> i don't i don't know i don't want to say that either um because people get the wrong idea yeah. but I don't, I don't know. And then I, I talked to Laura about like, okay, maybe the next step then is how do I write about re revenge? Mm -hmm. How do you get revenge on a planet? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the ultimate outcome and my preferred outcome, sorry, everybody, would be melancholia. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think I want to just stand in front of the blue planet and be obliterated yeah that's so I, I i remember very vividly us talking about that because you're you're kirsten dunst and yes. i'm i'm charlotte what's her name the sister yeah i forget the actress's name who like curls around the kid and looks away yeah well in the last like moment she yeah she kind of like gets up to try to run mm -hmm. at last mm -hmm. um my my whole thing is is i think it's complicated for me because there's an urge i think you feel for humans to fix it we broke it we got to fix it yeah but you can't um and my thing is like we don't know enough i think that you can certainly say that there are people who knew you know, like we know for sure back in the 70s, the scientists at oil companies knew what it was doing, knew how bad it was going to be, and were like very right with their production oh, pro projections. Everyone's lead count and their blood. 
Oh, yeah. Delicious. Like they knew. So I don't want to be like, we never know what's going to happen with what we do. Um, and I also think that, that at some point there is, there's a, not a universal we when it comes to humans, right? There's mm-hmm. very much a, an us and a them. There is a bourgeoisie who get what's happening. Right. Um, and there's a proletariat that is buying plastic K-cups for a couple of years. And then it's like, wait a minute. No, that's not good. Because we don't have the, the information we need. Right. Or, or when we do, we don't have the resources to do otherwise. Right. So I think there's also this desire to either stop what's happening or I'll turn your mic off for a second because we're, we're buzzing really hard. It's okay. You moved. I told you not to move. I'm sorry. I was uncomfortable. It's, it's okay. We're, we're sitting on the floor. It's all good. Um, there is this desire to either like go back to how it was before we started messing things up. No, no. Or there's a desire to like stop or to to something to like to, that, to change something that's so that struggle. it's different that's the struggle because there there is no viable option you can't go back to how it was you can't fix things you can't change the whole way you can't simply zap humans off the earth because we are of nature too mm-hmm. a i it it's an impasse, right? I don't like, okay. Do you believe in aliens? It makes sense that there would be life on other planets. Why haven't they come visited us? Oh, there's lots of different theories about that, right? Yeah. There are. So you, so at this point you mean life, you mean intelligent life. Yes. You mean civilization creating life. Yes. Not like, um, bugs, whatever. Um, oh. Are we out of time? No, we're not. There's, we're beholden to no one. I think we are over an hour. Uh, holy cow, we're well over an hour. Ooh. Um, we can we can cut some of the bullshit. It's fine. Uh, well, we can we can we can solve climate, and then we can we can we can be done. Okay, let's solve the climate. Um, you know, I don't know why. I I think space is very 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 big, and I think that faster than light travel is too big of a problem to solve what about the great filter theory i don't know that one. Oh, is that the like any any civilization that could get to the point of of traveling that far will probably just destroy itself first yeah i mean maybe i think hmm I, I guess that's possible. So I guess I'm maybe the answer is both. Are you concerned about the survival of humans no. or are you concerned about the survival of life on Earth? Full stop. I'm concerned about the ineptitude of the concept of justice. Oh, well, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm trying i'm trying to decide how to how to how to phrase what okay. i'm gonna say next so, so so i wrote a few years ago an essay called ars necrotica and it's it's about these issues right and i talk about um the pollution of the south uh east side of chicago which is the former home of of steel mills and also a landfill and a super fun site um as well as the chernobyl exclusion zone um but also the death of a young girl in Baltimore. And this young girl uh, is called, was called Heyman Lee, who had the first um, series of serial was about her. Mm. And that whole sensationalized death thing, right? And so thinking about that and thinking about the necropastoral, I, I kept going back to what does justice mean to Heyman Lee? Mm. Not to her family, mm-hmm. not to her community. What does it mean to her? Yeah. What does justice mean to the microorganisms, the crows, the wolves, the squirrels in the Chernobyl exclusion zone? Yeah. What do we do as human beings in the face of an isotope? Mm-hmm. So I think I've cornered myself into something impossible. Mm -hmm. And so I think instead of the next part of the book that I'm writing, which is the chapter book that was supposed to come out, Mm -hmm. I don't think it can. Come on, Paul. Yeah, come on, Paul. Um, I I don't think it can be revenge anymore. No. I think it has to be grief. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I agree with you. So he, I think I'm coming to understand part of why I bristle at, at, at being called an optimist because I'm kind of a cosmic pessimist. Mm. I'm at least very enchanted by the idea of an enchanted, not in a good way, but just I'm, I'm sort of like enticed by the philosophical idea of, of, of cosmic pessimism of like, universe is a cold place it's a it's a giant sort of accident uh consciousness the brain must be seen as a sort of parasite yes sort of sort of thing yes you need um eugene thacker's Mm -hmm. i have in the dust of the planet downstairs part one i do yeah yeah we need you need to read all of them they're very good i sure do i need to reread the first one i was i was not ready for it oh god no i have to reread it too it is it is dense yeah, it's, it it's really hard. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think but, we need to read the um, biography of Nietzsche that Laura gave us first, and then think, we need to read. I think so too. Yeah. Um. So, so I was kind of getting into all of that, and then I watched a YouTube video by someone who I don't think is on YouTube anymore, talking about active nihilism versus passive nihilism. Mm. Passive nihilism is is the sort of. Um, there's no God, everything sucks, the world's bad, and I'm going to feel sad about it. An act of nihilism is like, great, I am free. There's, there's no God watching, nothing matters, the sun in a billion years is going to be so big that the earth will turn into a dry husk, and unless we put all the information we have on a rocket ship and send it away from here, it will be lost eventually. And it's, you know, 
do you know your great great grandparents names i didn't think so sort of thing um and what that means is that i am completely liberated to be as good as possible for its own sake yeah um and no, i can't stand suffering no and, and so like i i'm not hung <clears throat> i'm not hung up on this idea of justice because i know it doesn't exist right. um i also know that things are too complex is what i was getting at earlier with like what would happen if i were to punch you in the face right find out let's go um nope no thank you i'm not willing to find out you want to get in a slap fight you want to do it now i don't i would rather stay friends um but like things are so complex that what is justice every definition will be wrong once we are able to comprehend more complexity i think yeah i think the, the word and the concept is just right yeah what what you want at a, at a visceral level i also want i want the people who are doing bad to be made to feel the bad that they put into the world somehow i don't want them to feel bad no you just want them to stop no i don't want i don't want punishment mm. no i i i just feel immense grief mm. i guess i get Sure. Maybe I was I was back in the revenge mode. You were in revenge mode. Uh, it doesn't lead you anywhere. Right. Because um, who, who who are we beheading? What does it serve? Right. Am I beheading badgers? I mean, I... I... Right. Yeah. So I think grief is a good place to be um, for now. I think I think you the 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 royal you mm. is going to want to not stay there um but i find that um i do feel grief uh, on both that sort of like global and local level really hard uh especially since having a kid i hate the i hate the trope of like everything changes when you have a kid but man oh man oh man you spawned and now you have the consequences. Does does the idea of, you know, uh, an animal in a trap make my stomach hurt? Um uh and and so like but again because I'm I'm problem solving boy over here, every sort of there is no endpoint to anything so that like thing makes me feel way how do i act in in response to 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 thing making me feel way <laughs> right i like that and yeah. so like it's not even necessarily always like the most utilitarian thing i think about you know things katie told me from the new jim crow when she read it things about executions and stuff and it makes me feel so bad yeah. It makes me feel so heartbroken. Yeah. Um so instead of sitting around feeling sad about that, I go find my daughter and I give her a big hug and a kiss. Right. Um and no, that doesn't do much, right? It makes me feel better. Right. And hopefully it contributes to her growing up into an adult person with a with the with the sort of indelible knowledge that she has a father who loves her. Which, Which you know, yeah, we know. we should all be so lucky. <laughs> if only, P particularly you women folk, it seems. 
you know, and and who knows, maybe she will. Hopefully, gender just gets completely abolished by the time she's an adult. Anyway, yeah. I'm so sick of gender. Yeah, it's um, so limiting. Um, he said with his beard on his face. It's it's, it's very short. It is it is very short now. Yeah, it used to be so long. Um, but anyway, right? So, I guess I have a hard time kind of talking about any of that stuff because it all just kind of leads me back to the solution that I've already found, which is just like, I'm going to love more. I'm going to just, I'm going to figure out how to love more. And, um, like, because I, I'm, I've been seduced by the nihilism. I know it's not going to be enough. I know it's not going to help in any sort of meaningful way. Um, but I do know that the things that I can control and make feel loved will go on and do more right yeah. i i was very into the pay it forward movie right like sure exponential growth baby like <laughs> your brain latched on to that i was like oh yeah they, those numbers get real big real fast <laughs> now i just play pokey clicker um don't knock it <laughs> and, and so so that's like that's where I was when we were doing our eco-poetic reading series. And that's where I'm at now. I'm just like more committed to it. Okay. And I think that I know myself well enough to know that I may very well change um, my my position on that. But I I do know that I very much feel like I need to be everyone's dad. You are Joe dad. And... <laughs> And like, how, however I can do that is how I'm going to do it. And will it be enough? Maybe not. Uh, but it will be fuel for hopefully enough people to affect enough people to, for it to be enough, you know, com commu networks of care is, is what I can help contribute to. So I will contribute to networks of care. Well, that, that might match with my desire for small communities mm -hmm. right because i it, i clearly have trouble fathoming a larger scope of, of justice and and oh goodness oh goodness joe um i was gonna tell you something else to like end this shit um, it's gone. Mm. Yeah. Like tears in the rain. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm in a glass box of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> Did we talk about poetry? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about how I am uncomfortable with poetry <laughs> for a long Which time. Which is so, well, it's just so funny because I'm very uncomfortable with fiction. Yeah. I think that's I think that's why our friendship works so well. Yeah. I, I think we, we are a very good yin yang. And when it extends out into our partners, even more so. Oh. Even even color palette wise. I know. What did we do? It's very weird. It's very cosmic. It's a weird mirror Yeah. Uh, of four people. I like aesthetics too and like right. It's it, I don't We'll never be able, for people who are outside of this friendship, you will never be able to know just how bizarre it, it is. It is bizarre. 
It's so weird. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. Though, though, we do have to do our cave project. Yes, we do. Which I think, I think we could talk about ecopodics and grief and the and cosmic ideas and communities of care and being fucking trapped in a cave don't go in the cave <laughs> i i think the cave is a, is a wonderful poetic image for all of that i really want to go and see if i can order like like a big blueprint size map of um mammoth cave and mm-hmm. see if we could play with that yeah mammoth is good i'm i'm so i'm we gotta watch hellier it's supposed to be so good yeah Mammoth Cave is is fascinating. I think I'm so I'm really fascinated by Krubera. Where's Krubera? It's in the Crimea. Is um, that the one with the biggest, lo- the longest pit in the world? It's now like the second. Is that one where the the bunch of guys died down there? Um, I'm not no, sure. one asshole guy went down there by himself. Yeah, and and, and just kind of chilled in there for a while. Yeah, and then, I I do remember watching a YouTube video about uh, him. I think we watched the same cave compilations. I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the names of certain parts of, of the Krubera cave, they have like the passage of dreams mm. and stuff like that. Just like what they named it. There's a, a wonderful poetic nature to how speleologists work. Yes. Um, because they are beguiled that by I, the cave. That I really jive with. And um, yeah, we need to make our cave book. Oh my God, yesterday we went, <laughs> we, crawled, <laughs> we crawled underneath a bunch of hay bales and we're like, we came out on the other side. And we're like, yes, we're cavers now. <laughs> it, it was really fascinating. It because was. There is that when you make the initial squeeze into that little hay tunnel there is the primordial i'm going into a tunnel and i may not come out of the tunnel i feeling. was terrified for like two seconds yeah. yeah and our partners just sat us sat watching us just crawl over this hay bale and in this hay bale like like insane children being, being more <laughs> uh childlike than the uh the actual the child. actual baby child yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Should we stop? This yes, this SD card has seven minutes left of space on it, oh. so we should uh, we should get into our reading. Okay. This is from um, my chat book after summer, um, which was written quite literally after I read Johan Goransson's um, draft for his book Summer, and it's about eco poetics and shit. And I don't have titles. Um, with the plastic camera safe in my gut, I see sunflowers suddenly on every corner, curious dark holes framed by a thick shriek of yellow. Sunflowers like a dead fish in a painting on the internet. An eye rolled towards nothing. I read summer and the clacking of insects unholy utterance of bugs the trees swarmed with their naked bodies i puke up the camera i lie on my back and fiddle with the half digested pieces the clouded lens the unrequited shudder the black eye of heaven and maybe words aren't meant for me 
Maybe I am meant for yeast or chemicals like the zipper on the front of old jeans. Two hands slowly unclasping wet or wrists handcuffs to a radiator. Maybe I'm meant to digest film hot in my bowels, washing the negatives in an emulsion of bile. Yes, the lens too. Yes, everything is imprinted by me, by my hand, by the liquid of me, which itself is an image, a replica of me, a glimmer of the insects screaming in the trees. If every night I write a poem, will I gather the loose molecules of a mind back? Or will I suddenly dissolve into the sea like clumps of cornstarch that powder the insides of plastic grocery bags? Similarly, I wonder what a jellyfish tastes like, globular and half-real, but can only imagine the cachet of grocery bags slowly disintegrating in my mother-in-law's shed. What does this prove about photosensitivity or the appetites of yeast? The extent of my tastes, I think mostly of salt. The bugs scream. The night stretches on as thick as their shrieks. I am on a sidewalk. I am outside. The camera exposed from my insides, wet in my hand, its black eye reflecting the black eye of the sunflowers, crowding me out of the frame. The jammed shutter, the melted crank, one photo after another, and with it a sensitivity of summer, something that swallows you whole. Um, when I say I see sunflowers on every corner, I mean it. They have replicated some fascist uprising of flowers, some data purge from my dreams dumped in the back alley and in the background of my students' Zoom calls. I see them and they strike me, looking back from the neighbor's window, perverted and tantalizing. I want to pluck their petals off and rub the yellow of it over my eyes. I want to reach into the window and eat the fractured eye and grow towering stalks from my own eye pits. I can't go anywhere without being monitored by Vincent's doppelganger, by the patron of yellow, like angry sunlight. I dip my little plastic camera into the acid. It clears the muddy lens. These are the results. Inside the trash hole is a black telephone. I took a picture of it framed in late summer flowers and the photo came out half wrong, dulled by summer light or blinking. It means nothing. Eye for an eye, further a dead girl to relate to. I can break it with my black heart. This telephone will break. Ring, ring goes the photograph. It is I, the polar bear. I can't answer. It's two-dimensional. I stick the photograph to my head. I think I will again eat the camera. What marks the black sidewalk? The pit of forever. I start my car. I turn the engine over in a meadow. I turn the car over and pluck a blade of grass. The black telephone has multiplied. The black telephone is a mass of clouds. Black pit, black phone, green meadow. Fever of jellyfish or sunflowers. 
eat up cesium. It makes me endless, endlessly tired just turning the engine on. I want to be alone in my mistakes, in my ceaseless hunger, in my pit with everything I've ever owned. Thank you. Thank you.